Welcome to the Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard. The podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business and career success. Build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's the Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Hello and welcome back to the Boost Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Leonard. As a part of my TV show, Small Business Network, I recently interviewed Cameron Hefferman. He's the co-founder and chief marketing officer of New Gig Solutions. During our conversation, Cameron and I chatted about building corporate culture and understanding the power of employees as ambassadors. The part of Boost this episode most closely addresses is build your brand. Now, Here's Cameron. So let's like just dig right in and let's sure. start by aligning on the definition of corporate or company culture. How, how do you define it? Sure. Um, great question. And I, and I like to look at it and break it down. I like, I like the fact you said and company culture, because I think there's, there's a bit of a perception or, uh, you know, no preconceived notion. Corporate culture just sounds so serious and so heavy and something that, you know, big fancy firms and, and consultants spend years getting just right and perfect. But I like to look at it in a more simple way, maybe of, of what's it like to work here or what is this company like? And it's not just about working there, mind you, it's about, what would, a, what would the people who interact with this company say about it? Whether it's part of the community that you live in, if you're an employee, if you're a customer of that, of that company, if you're a supplier or a provider to that company. So, you know, what would people say about it? If you're an individual, people have opinions about you. You're a politician. There are strong opinions, of course. Well, how do people feel about you as a company? Almost to think of it as an individual with a personality. So to me, we think uh, if, we, if we break it down from corporate culture to like a company culture, what's it like there? That's the key question. And I feel that so many, particularly in the smaller side of companies, they're, they're, they're not as, as, let's say, facile or adept at knowing how to answer that question. How do we get there? Um, one key place is data. Asking questions of your employees of your customers. And that's a real simple thing to do. I think that's a good place to start with getting a sense for how do people feel about us as a company? Yeah. And that's really interesting because, you know, when you ask those questions, you have to be ready to hear the answers too, right? Right. <laughs> and so we hear a lot about the importance of just having a cohesive company culture. Um, and even pre-COVID, I know some organizations were really challenged to do that. Um, I'd imagine that now, given hybrid teams, mm -hmm. cohesion is an even greater challenge. Um, so, you know, it's funny because we talk about working from home, but it almost feels like we're living at work. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these different um, uh, these different aspects of us that collide. And so when we're trying to build culture, it makes it even difficult. So how would you suggest businesses approach this, even in this this whole post covid world that we're living in? Mm -hmm. I guess I'd also, again, look at the data. What are the what are the data points you have to work with? Do you have any data points to work with? Have you done an employee survey, for example? Have you done a customer survey? Haven't done that. What, what do you have? Do you have informal um, data points or conversations or inputs from 
these different groups, so whether it's employees or customers or the community. And doing a simple survey, you know, a five to six question survey or a net promoter score type survey is yeah. really easy these days. You know, lots of tools online to do that. And it doesn't have to be a big, heavy exercise. Ideally, you're doing it, you know, once a year or every two years to get some of that input. Okay, so maybe that's something you can work toward. But in the meantime, what can you do in a more informal way to gather input from people? Your own team. If you're a small company, maybe you can handle it on a single Zoom call, you know? Um, maybe it's a department by department to look at what is, what is it you like to share with, with, with management about working here? What are some suggestions you might have to make some improvements and just almost an old fashioned way of a suggestion box or a virtual suggestion box that people feel that their input is listened to and heard. And particularly now with what we're going through in the past year and a half and working from home and, and, and hybrid and remote teams and now companies going back to work, mm-hmm. I think it's even more important to try to facilitate that, that interaction and, and facilitate that exchange from, from employees. I think getting that data is a great, you know, great place to start. Now you may say, well, we're a company of six. That's not much data, even easier. Fantastic. You know, and it doesn't have to be a big, heavy exercise. It could just be a simple, let's call it almost like a focus group where you sit down with people and, and let them feel heard, but also a way to do it anonymously is useful mm. too, right? Where they feel that uh, it's, it's a safe place to share some of this information and, and, and reassure them that this is, is an anonymous kind of an exercise because we're here because we do we do want to hear what people think. And then once you get that input, well, what do you do from there? I think if you're not willing to ask those questions, you're even less willing to make any changes based on that, that input. So I think uh, this is a good time for companies to look at those things because there's a, a full range of motion, emotions people are feeling from ready to go back to work, you know, dying to get out of the house, get back to some normalcy to others where maybe the school isn't back to normal yet. So it's going to be, you know, daycare, childcare issues really good time to, to ask, to talk with employees and to show them that we really value your input. In fact, we need it to continue to thrive as a company. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you keep mentioning survey, like five, six questions. What's like one question mm-hmm. that you think, uh, or actually two, if you'd like, mm-hmm. um, what are a couple of questions that you think are, you've got to ask these things in order to really get a better understanding of what the organization culture is? I'm a fan myself of the one that I mentioned, NPS, Net Promoter Score. It might be a bit obscure for people, but another way to look at that same metric or same question is, would you recommend this company as a place to work for a colleague or a peer? You know, if you bumped into your neighbor, would, would you say to them, you got to work in Company X, it's fantastic? Or would you say, eh, not so sure. So like, would you recommend this or not? Just like a restaurant, would you recommend this restaurant to your neighbor? So then a follow-up could be, um, Maybe it's something like a trend question, such as how has this attitude changed in the last 18 months, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. One to two questions should be enough. Maybe you could, again, if your company's big enough, you could also ask demographic questions. So you could get basis on, you know, by age or tenure or, or race, perhaps, if it's mm-hmm. a big enough company. But again, with a small company, one or two questions could be enough. Then you can, and what's nice too about that, Kelly, is that that question doesn't change over time. You can track the metrics yeah. as, as, as things are varying. If you have a lot of turnover, that might vary the answer too, because it's different people that are answering. So that's another right. thing to look at. Right. And if you have a lot of turnover, that may, <laughs> may be, that yep. may be indicative of something. That's right. right. Exactly. I think that's part of what my point is. A lot of times these surveys give you answers you weren't expecting to hear and they yeah. point to an issue in another area. So like what, what, what my company does is that fundamental, that staffing issue. And oftentimes we go in with the, with the remit of, 
placing a position or, 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 or finding a, a person to do this role. And actually the issue that the company is having is not hiring for this position, it's retention or the onboarding process has issues or the job descriptions don't match what the person actually does once they get there or and on and on and on. So oftentimes a, uh, an HR or a people problem is manifesting or masking a different issue at the company. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So uh, the other thing, because I know we talked about this whole aspect or the reason why we're here is to talk about employees as sort of brand ambassadors. And, and I've heard this term employer branding. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is that? And then how does that relate to a company's culture? Sure. I think it's heavily, I think they relate heavily. And that with the employer brand part is maybe just the same kind of question vis-a-vis the employees that we mentioned with the company culture. So again, what's it like to work there? So what would people say about this company? This company was a person and the company walked out out of the room. What would everyone there say about them? Um, So what what do your employees feel about life there, working there. And those two are kind of very closely related now because it's hard to separate work from life. But yeah. again, if, if you're, you know, what would you, what would you, would your employees say about you as a, as a company? And they'll say that uh, as a statistic, I'm not going to get it right. It's essentially that those, your employees are the best way to promote and spread the word about your company across the board in customers, in employees, in uh, new business opportunities, because they're already there and they're hopefully behind the mission and supporting it. And I'm, I'm sure you have listeners on this show that are not working at companies, either organizations, nonprofits, charities. Right. Ideally, you're finding and, and selecting and choosing people who want to be there and support the mission, right? So if that's a misalignment, there could be an issue. Again, how do we find that out? Asking questions. Um, I think with the employer brand part, empowering your employees to be those kinds of ambassadors can can be so much more effective than spending a whole lot of money to, to, to bring in new people or a lot of money on business development and outreach. So mm-hmm. what could you do if you're a company? So some examples might be offer uh, commission bonuses or some kind of a, an incentive to bring in new customers, even if you're not in a non-sales role mm-hmm. or to bring in uh, what I would consider an employee referral bonus. So the best, hopefully, if, you're, if your company, if your employees are behind what you do and support the mission, are the best kind of people to be out there and talking about what a fantastic place this is to work and, and what a great mission we have. And to empower them, you know, to interact on social media and to get the word out, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or, or whatever, about, hey, what a fantastic place this is to work. You mentioned some, I have so many like follow on questions. You, you bring them on. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Because, okay. One of the things, because you, you used the word mission multiple times. Okay. And have you found in your work that the average employee, like if you were just to grab employee number X Uh out of an organization, do you believe that they would know the organization's mission? No, like, I'm so glad you asked me. We <laughs> didn't plan this ahead of time. I'm sorry. Finish the question and I'll stop <laughs> interrupting you. Because-, <laughs> because, that, because I think part of what you're describing is there's even perhaps a misalignment from the very beginning mm-hmm. of the workforce or the team perhaps not even knowing what the organization's mission Right. what their mission statement is and or the organization's ambiguity or just, you know, we have these pie in the sky kind of really odd 
missions that aren't necessarily directly aligned with the work that the organization does because it's like a sound good type of mission statement. Mm-hmm. And so, so talk to us about that. Sure. Like, how do we ensure that everyone on a team understands why we're here, what the organization's mission is? Right. I'm so glad you asked me that. So that's fantastic. Um, I think you really put your finger on something there. A lot of companies, again, particularly smaller com- companies, don't do a great job of this. And I, I think often there's an assumption that their work here, they get a, pay, a paycheck, and they support what we do. They understand what we do. So I would suggest a great place to start is having that information front and center, you know, the, the brand promise. What are we offering to our customers, to our employees? Mm-hmm. Our mission statement, why are we here? The shorter, the better, you know, uh, six to eight words. And ideally, optimally, you involve these stakeholders in formulating that mission statement, these stakeholders being employees, maybe there's Mm -hmm. a board, even there's an element of it's called voice of the customer. We go Mm -hmm. to our customers and ask, why do you value doing business with us? It's as simple as if you go to a a cafe or a coffee shop, those machines are about this big, they have a, a, a red unhappy face and a green smiley face, right? That's a very simple one. And little kids pushing the red over and over can really screw your data. But, but that's a, a simple input mechanism, right? So um, we're getting that information about how people feel. And again, the voice of the customer is integrated into that too. So like what we espouse and say and feel as a company, does that really align with what the employees understand and mm-hmm. what our customers value? So again, asking questions and then, okay, you may have the best mission statement in the world, the best value proposition, the best brand statement, but if no one knows what it is or how to right. access it or how to live it, mm-hmm. worthless. So I'd say the keys there are accessibility, involving people through that process. Three is consider it an evolving, living, breathing document. It's not something that's living a, a plaque that's permanently on the wall mm-hmm. that's there forever. It should change over time. And that... Um, we have ways to inculcate it into the culture of the company regularly. Okay. What does that mean? Inculcate's not a very friendly word, but <laughs> maybe once. Word. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Oh, but maybe, maybe once a quarter we have a, a you know, a revisiting the, the, the values. And at my old company, we used to do a, a we'd have a, on a company, like a departmental wide basis every month. We'd have a touch point who has on the team has expressed and uh, you know, portrayed this value and they got a spot bonus for that. So it's voted on by peers, mm. you know, talking 50 euros, $50, whatever it was, not a huge amount, but uh-huh. enough that people would be glad when they had won it. And they were glad to vote for their peers to get that. So, and what we had done it at my company was it, the, the, the values spelled a word. People understood what the, what they were for. Mm-hmm. And again, we were at an agency. So we made it a nice, you know, a handout, not an empty piece of you know, text, but a, a graphic that you'd actually be proud to show and is looks cool. Wow. Yeah, that's good because that's the thing is that, you know, you see some organizations' mission statements and you're just like, what? Like mm-hmm. I could never, number one, I could never remember that. And number two, it seems very far from what we're actually doing in the day-to-day. So um, I can't remember who it was. There's someone um, like a big mission statement writer type person that talks about the the value of it should be short enough to write on a t-shirt mm. and short enough for people to really be able to commit to memory. Because to your point, if they don't know why 
they're there, then it makes it really different, difficult to espouse the, that mission. Yeah. Um, and I'll throw in one more too, which is authenticity, right? If you're, if you're, yeah. a, if you're a corporate, not to take a knock at big corporate companies, but if you're a, 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 more, a more established, you know, serious corporation and your mission statement is move fast and break things, no one's going to believe that and has no credibility, right? right? So again, if you're a small company, be authentic with it and, and even maybe have some fun with it. I mean, some of the, the in, good engaging mission statements I see are, are just that and they're fun. They make you think we, they've written it this way on purpose. They've written it with a personality that makes me think they're going to be a creative group to work with or a fun or a, you know, an engaging or a challenging group to work with. Yeah. Now, and you mentioned big business, but now- is employer branding, is it relevant to like small to mid market companies as well? Sure, because they're competing often for the same talent, the same people, aren't they? So it is harder for smaller companies to compete when they can't give all the, you know, the, the, the benefits, the compensation, some of the perks and the elements, the ability to move around the country and like a big company can offer. So what can I give if I'm a smaller company? So again, step back and look at what, what's your real value proposition, um, work with a, a provider like us who will know prevailing wage data in the area. You might think that you're paying well, you go talk to a firm that does that and knows, hey, I'm actually 10% below where I need to be. And like, mm-hmm. you know, right now when we're working with companies, it's, it's a race for talent because it's not, not everyone is back to work yet. There are people who are staying at home for you know, personal or daycare, child reasons, whatever. And companies are having to adapt. They're giving on the spot promotions, raises, bonuses. So what can you do if you're a smaller company uh, to compete with bigger companies. I'd say get creative, you know, take advantage of the fact that you're smaller. Maybe there's fewer hoops to go through to give a spot bonus or things like, um, you know, courses that you can send people to that they would enjoy and value doing uh, that are online or even mm-hmm. back in person. Um, uh, companies doing things like virtual happy hours or uh, food and drink delivery um, to shake things up a little bit and ways to kind of show employees that we, we understand too, that you're struggling. This is a hard time. Yeah. And, and to the, to your point, because so many folks are working remotely, it opens up the talent pool, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. it feels like small business is actually competing with large corporations at an even higher level right now mm-hmm. because it's like the geographic boundaries are are lifted. And mm-hmm. so how can a small firm or a business to business provider become an employer of choice when bigger companies have so many more resources? Yeah, that's a hard one. I'd say lean into some of those strengths that you've got. So remote could be one of them. And that's changed definitely in the last year and a half, but it'll be interesting to see in the next, you know, six months how that evolves with Oftentimes, traditionally, bigger companies have been more hesitant to embrace the remote working. That, I think we're having a big shift now with what's happened. But hopefully at a smaller company, there's more of an ability to do that. Again, based on your industry and there's some sectors, there's just going to always be a challenge. But maybe that's one area where you can be more competitive because you can offer some more flexibility on scheduling, you know, remote and hybrid working options, working with collaborative tools to you know, prevent or enable people to work from home, et cetera. And that is a hard one that we're, for smaller companies to compete. But I'd say to look at, again, look at what your employees value, look at what they say that they like and try to you know, give them more of that. Gotcha. Good stuff. Um, and so as we're looking further at this, this notion of employees as advocates or ambassadors, what are some of the things that 
really savvy owners or leaders are doing to encourage their employees to be just that, to be mm-hmm. advocates and ambassadors? Look and see who's already doing it. And I think that this was happening even before social media exploded in mm-hmm. the last generation. There were always those individuals at the company who were real, let's call them cheerleaders, just really embraced and love what they're doing. Find and seek out those people and reward them. Mm-hmm. And then they can also be leaders to bring more of that mentality and that spirit to the rest of the team to show them that everybody can do this. And there's a, th- those are the people are going to continue to grow and, and have an upward trajectory at the company. So how can we identify those people and then they can identify more, let's call them disciples to go on that journey with them. Um, and I think those people in some ways self-identify as, as those who want to continue with the company, grow into leadership positions, et cetera. So be on, you know, be aware of them and on the lookout for them and also try to look at people who may be quieter, but just need a little bit of motivation, a little bit of, let's say recognition for that. Um, look for diversity, look for, um, diversity, both geographically, culturally, ethnically, ethnically, as well as, mm-hmm. uh, gender and roles. So it's mm-hmm. not just all the tech people who are doing it. It's, it's a mixture of people who are hopefully in this ambassadorial sort of uh, a role. Yeah. And I definitely appreciate because you said earlier on, even the fact that even though folks don't wear a business development or a sales hat mm-hmm. per se, we can equip folks on the team to wear those similar roles. Um, you said something early on about reward them. Mm-hmm. What does rewarding people as ambassadors, what does that look like exactly? What are you saying like that these ambassadors should be compensated in some way or, or what does rewarding? I think they could be. Like? I think again, creativity is key. And, and I think you get a lot of good suggestions, Googling just that. What are some mm-hmm. cool creative things companies are doing to reward employees? Mm-hmm. Uh, professional development is one t- mm-hmm. paid, paid time off, flexible scheduling, uh, Remote work, you know, when we're back to normal to allow that flexibility. Some companies are talking about three days off or three, three days remote per week or two days remote per week. And uh, other ways, spot bonuses, spot um, services, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, it's, it might seem silly, but like a, a dry cleaning uh, gift certificate or a um, one of those rem- uh, uh, mobile laundry gift certificates just to kind of show employees that you sort of understand where they're coming from. And that can be, it's not, we're not talking about something that's going to break the bank, but even a $25 Amazon gift certificate can be very appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a part of me in the back of my head, the the risk manager in me uh, says he gads. So we're encouraging folks to be on social media. I'm assuming this should be done in light of having some sort of social media policy or how does that work? Because of course we all come into this conversation with different levels of maturity, different schools of thought. And so how should organizations, I guess, be preemptive in trying to avoid some of what may come out as maybe not so great employee ambassadorship. Yep. I think that's a great point. It's uh prepared for it, transparent, you know, some guidelines for people. And guidelines are a mixture of sort of recommendations and rules. We don't want to be too rigid, but I think we're giving employees, we're saying we trust you and we're empowering you to do more. Here are the, you know, the lanes you need to work within, whether those are um, try to keep your content 
ideally related to what we do that helps. And he's smart about it too. Your name is on that post as well, right? So there's all the examples of this has gone the wrong way, but don't make them feel that they're out on an island, that, that, you know, whoever it might be, if it's HR, communications, marketing department is sort of there with them to, to give them some guidelines. Yeah. And to that point, I think what you're not suggesting is that um, the teams just go out and create their own content per se. I know in the organization that I work in, um, our marketing department will create the content for us and then encourage us to then share or add our additional insight or thoughts or reflections on that content that's being pushed out. So we're not entirely being relied upon to curate that content. And so that it does have the organization's branding and mission and all that good stuff included in it. Yeah. I think that's the best practice. And they're, they're also not, you also don't want your people in finance, accounting, legal to be spending all their time and effort. They're not communications and marketing people. It's not their job. So the the marketing department, you guys, it's uh, sound like you're doing a good job with it are, are again, giving them the tools to work with and get started. People can put the individual flavor or flair into each post or tweet or whatever it might be. Now, let's change topics just a a wee little bit Mm -hmm. and let's have you share some of those concrete steps a company can do to ensure that they're attracting the best and the brightest talent. Because as we kind of alluded to earlier on in our conversation, the marketplace is just rich and robust with with talent. And it almost Mm -hmm. feels like it's an employee's um, sort of their market because there is... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a large amount of talent. There's employers are, are hungry for great talent. So what are the, some of those best practices or steps that a company can take to ensure that they are attracting those folks? Mm. I think be honest, be honest with your strengths and weaknesses, be transparent about what you have to offer. Um, you know, look at, look at what your, your, what you offer as a company, the strengths uh, inherent there and make that reflected in every touch point that an empl- uh, a prospective hire could see the job ad, the interaction they're going to have on the first phone screen, the, the experience through the interview process, the onboarding process. So if that's all aligned, that's a fantastic step. Um, again, asking them, uh, questions of employees. Another great one is new hires. They've gone through all this process, the interviewing, the whole experience, maybe the onboarding. And then again, I would recommend onboarding not be just a one-time thing. Sometimes it's, oh, day one, he's on, he or she's onboarded, they're here. It should be more like an ongoing thing for maybe two quarters, you know, with touch points and buddies who can help them through. But they are, they've just gone through it and they'll have good feedback for how to improve and refine that process in the future. Uh, keep asking those questions, <clears throat> excuse me. And also be realistic about what you're worth, about what you're, what, what, you know, what you're paying people. Look at resources like salary.com and pay scale or work with a company like mine that can give some real input on wage scales and they change very quickly industry to industry geographies you know, here in the DC area. It's a very hot market right now. And again, we're not back to full employment in some ways. There are people who are choosing not to go back into the workforce and that affects supply and demand, of course, too. Yeah. And so I would love for you to share, um, because you're seeing a lot, we're all seeing a lot of people um, just choosing not to go back into the workforce. So, so mm-hmm. give us one tip, I guess, in terms of how as an employer who perhaps is um, looking for, for talent, what are some of the ways to fill that, what we may see in terms of a talent gap? Because 
with when people are in choice and they are making these decisions that, hey, I, given the way that things are right now, I'm unable to work a full time job. How mm-hmm. do employers reckon with those gaps? What are some strategies mm-hmm. to, to fill those gaps? Yeah. Be creative. You know, it might take three people to cobble, to cobble together what would have been one FTE before, perhaps one full time employee. So could we get to the same point of having three people who are working 15 hours a week? Is, is that doable? Are we going to, could we offer somebody who's returning to the workforce? Maybe they were, you know, were at the home and, and raising a child or two and stepped out of the workforce. Um, could we allow them to kind of ramp back up with 20 hours a week to get to that point? Some creativity goes into who we're going to select to interview and to work with. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, that concludes this episode of the Boost Podcast. Thank you again for listening in. If you don't mind, if you could like, subscribe, or share the podcast with a friend, I would greatly appreciate it. For more information on anything Boost related, you can visit our website at www.kellytleonard.com. Thank you.